Hi there, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching. And if your highly sensitive child is struggling to the point of experiencing daily meltdowns and you're wondering whether or not you should pursue a med mental health diagnosis, you wanna make sure that you stick around because that's what we're gonna be talking about today on our show. Hello and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. So here at Megan Thompson Coaching, we've been helping parents of highly sensitive kids for years now break out of the meltdown cycle, stop aggressive behavior and uh, isolation-focused be isolation behavior like hitting, kicking, screaming, throwing the body on the floor, um, throwing toys, throwing items in the house, just you know, pencils, breaking pencils when frustrated with homework, uh, running away, slamming the door, spending all day on the phone, refusing to engage with the family, et cetera. And we've helped parents of kids ages two through 18 in our coaching company, which is how you're contacting us now. Um, and we've been doing we've been doing this for over 400 families at this point, so around the world. Um, one of the things that that is important for us to cover that many parents will ask themselves is whether or not their child is in need of a mental health therapist or a mental health diagnosis, and whether or not the highly sensitive trait is a, a diagnosis in and of itself. Okay, so we're going to cover both of those things today. Uh, and really break down why or when this might be necessary to seek mental health therapy, um, to seek mental health support, and uh, cover a little bit more about um, when it, it might not be necessary and when, when it isn't uh, relevant at all. So how do I know what I'm talking about? Okay, so I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor. I've been a mental health provider for um, over a decade at this point, and I've been working in the mental health field since my internship in high school. So um, I got my master's degree in 2009. So in, um, in, in working strictly with children and adolescents for the entirety of my career uh, as a mental health provider and working with, with children who have experienced significant trauma, as well as engaged in chronic suicidal behavior, chronic self-harm, um, and, and severely aggressive behavior, you know, grabbing knives, um, uh, threatening people, um, engaging in, in pretty severe uh, physical fights, etc., and, and that that type of behavior I treated in my mental health uh, positions through both outpatient and um, you know it and um, uh, private separate um, locked door facilities to include residential treatment as well as a therapeutic day school. Um, and in the, the typical public school setting. So uh, my career spans all but inpatient hospitalization. I've never worked in a hospital, though I've had clients um, come from a hospital into my practice and, and um, my clinicians have all served uh, families with these needs. And so I, I ran my private practice for about five years, uh, a little, little like 10 days under five years. <laughs> um, 
And I did that uh, after many years of working for other uh, mental health agencies and uh, private organizations. And um, recently, the, in 2022, closed down the doors of the private practice in order to fully focus on the coaching business, which I'd been running for uh, many years, um, coinciding with the private practice. So decided to streamline our efforts because the results that we have here at MTC are actually faster than the results that we were able to get for our highly sensitive children, child clients in the therapy model that we used um, that primarily engaged parents and children. Um, so while we were able to break the meltdown cycle in the private practice, it took longer. It took over six months to a year typically for highly sensitive kids. And the teenagers that we worked with took anywhere between six months to two years, depending on how severe their um, behavior was, whether they were in and out of the hospital setting or uh, you know, in terms of hurting themselves and um, struggling to engage in the work that, that, that we asked them to do and that their parents needed to do, um, or you know, came in gung-ho, ready to shift and, and didn't want didn't want to waste any more time. Um, and, and that's you know family specific as well. And, and the primary um, objective of the work that we did was both a combination of, uh, individual therapy, family therapy, and group therapy all together. So families were working with us for multi multiple times a week and, and then also contacting us outside a session. We used a, an evidence-based treatment called DBT uh, to do that and to break out of that cycle. But DBT's typical cycle is two rounds of 26 weeks um, of treatment. So it's, it's a full year. Uh, multiple times a week working with the therapist. So it's a, it's a very intensive level of treatment to break out of the cycle for teenagers, for young children uh, who are engaging in aggressive and, and, and quite dangerous behaviors, um, as I mentioned before. So in, in breaking out of this pattern here in, through the coaching company and working with families through, through our, our programming and uh, the services that we provide in coaching, um, really the majority of the work that we do, we're stopping that behavior before it gets to the point where the, the suicidal or self-harmful behavior is chronic um, or before it starts uh, at that level of intensity. So children might be threatening to hurt themselves but haven't taken action on it yet. Um, and, and that might, might be um, where, where parents come into us and, and they're working with us directly. Um, or they've already started with a therapist and uh, the parents need guidance because the therapist is, is doing one-to-one -one therapy, which is not effective at solving the problem because parents need to break out of the pattern um, through their relationship with their kids. So parents will, will come to us in, in any avenue. So in terms of um, understanding the personality trait, if this is the first show that you're listening to, I wanted to just make sure that you were, you were clued in to my expertise and the work that I've done over the, over the past decade plus as well as um, the, the results that we were able to get in the traditional mental health world for our clients, why it took so long, et cetera. Um, and notice the difference because many of the professionals that you'll hear speak about highly sensitive kids are either mommy bloggers, um, you know, perhaps they're a parent of a highly sensitive kid and they ha have one child that they have tried to help manage their emotions uh, safely, or um, they're a professional who has worked with what we, us in the mental health world call the worried well. So highly sensitive kids who might have fears, um, you know, afraid of the dark, have a hard time leaving mommy, uh, some separation anxiety, et cetera. Um, 
or working with teenagers who are engaging in, um, in some anxious behaviors. Um, so in terms of understanding the severity of the work, uh, the significant needs of the clients that we worked with in the mental health practice, um, uh, I think it's important for you to note why I say what I say and why I, I talk about this, the significance of the behaviors you're seeing in your household and understand the difference between the meltdown cycle that you're seeing, even if your child's behavior isn't severely aggressive or self-harmful yet, um, because obviously people were coming to us by, by the time they were at the end of the road. Um, and, and the objective of MTC is to eliminate suicidal thoughts and, and actions for highly sensitive people around the world. And we start that with parents and their children um, in eliminating the meltdown cycle, because this is where that's headed. Now, you know, we've helped, um, thousands of families at this point, just given the math of how many clinicians I had on the team, uh, as well as how many hundreds of families we've served here through the coaching company. And uh, this, the meltdown cycle leads to chronic suicidality, chronic self-harm and chronic aggressive behavior. Um, that's something that I can say consistently uh, over and over and over again. And, and you can't convince me otherwise because we've worked with families around the world and we've seen it um, in, in anywhere, shape or form. Um, without help, this is where that, that, that leads to. So um, it, it's important for you to understand my context so that when I talk about this uh, and, and behavior management and whether or not your child needs mental health treatment, if they are highly sensitive, uh, you can understand why my expertise uh, is relevant as well as why my advice here is relevant. Um, compared to perhaps other people who uh, say that they understand the personality trait of the highly sensitive uh, trait, um, though they may not be capable of eliminating the meltdown cycle, which is different than uh, highly sensitive kids who have a meltdown every once in a while. Okay, so the meltdown cycle, uh, again, that's our specialty here at MTC. Um, this is children who are struggling with multiple meltdowns a day. Um, we've, you know, we've worked with parents of, of kids who've had meltdowns, you know, upwards of 20 meltdowns a day. Um, many parents though, come to us when their children are struggling with one, two, three meltdowns a day. Um, that's probably the majority of our clients. And then also we work with clients whose children don't melt down, uh, parents who want to get out ahead of it, but realize that this is where this is going because their child has had significant outbursts on a daily basis. Uh, meltdowns on a weekly basis, multiple meltdowns on a weekly basis, etc. Or their child is shutting down and they realize that that level of implosion is going to lead to self-harmful behavior. So children who are, you know, shy, um, um, shying up when, when their child, when they're asked uh, to set limits, when they're shutting down, they're, they're saying things like, um, you know, life would be better off without me. Um, I want a different family. I hate you. You don't love me. Things of that nature. And that that's happening at, with some frequency in the home and parents realize that they need to, they, they want to and need to get out ahead of this. So um, if, if all of what I've talked about so far sounds like it's resonating with you, sounds like something that your gut is telling you that this is where your family's headed, uh, if you don't address it now, then be sure to keep listening, okay? Um, if this is not the case, if you have a sensitive kid who every once in a while um, gets upset and is hesitant to start new things, then you would probably be just fine following a mommy blogger, uh, you know, a parent of a sensitive of a sensitive kid who posts every once in a while about books that they find to be useful and communicating 
changing emotions, um, you know, perhaps some feelings games you can find on Amazon, um, and, and then, you know, pacing your child into new experiences by telling the coach that uh, your kiddo feels big feelings and the teacher that your kiddo feels big feelings. Not every highly sensitive child is stuck in the meltdown cycle. And so the work that we do at MTC is specialized in within the, the special pocket of high sensitivity. Um, highly sensitive kids are, um, you know, make up one in every five. So 20% of the population is highly sensitive. And, um, uh, you know, so that's, that's 20%. But but 50% of the population, of the human population, in therapy, in mental health therapy, is highly sensitive. So there's a clear discrepancy here, right? Um, and, and I think it's incredibly important for you as a parent to understand why highly sensitive kids are being funneled into mental health therapy more so than their peers, you know, dis in a disproportionate rate, and for you to make a, a clear decision of whether or not that's actually an appropriate avenue for the work that you need to do, you know. Um, long story short, in terms of why we closed the practice down was because, as I mentioned before, um, the, uh, the, the coaching company was doing so, is, was and is doing so well that we wanted to make sure we streamlined our efforts uh, because my leadership team was running both companies with me, as well as noticing that our clients were happier because they were, we had a, built a community um, and it wasn't as isolative um, in terms of the, the dynamic that we're able to build in the coaching world. Um, versus following evidence-based treatment that is, um, you know, time-limited and, and short, um, and and the mental health world has boundaries around how communicative you can be with your clients, and um, how you can foster relationships. So often, group therapists will discourage group members from communicating with each other. Now, that can be useful when group members are mentally ill. Uh, but when you're raising a, a sensitive kid who feels like nobody is like them, um, that sort of model and that sort of communication style can actually be um, be challenging, right? As well as parents of highly sensitive kids, um, uh, you know, where where, you're, where you yourself want to have a community. So we just found that fostering the community online and, and running our online programs was uh, much more rewarding, both for the coaches, uh, us, obviously, we, you know, we, we have a big mission here, so we need to make sure we love what we do, um, as well as the work that our clients were much more receptive to, to that. They were, um, you know, they're, they're happy, they're grateful about um, the communication and the level of support that our alumni have with each with each other, um, and so it, it, it's a win-win in that dynamic. Um, in addition to obviously uh, for myself and and managing uh, both companies that that had grown quite large, it was time for me to make a decision. Though it was very hard um, to ensure that I was honoring um, my family's needs, uh, especially after having my second child um, late summer of 2022. So um, a growing family, growing businesses needed to, needed to make sure that I was able to not forsake my family for helping other people um, uh, grow and, and foster the dynamic, uh, healthy dynamic in their own family too. So um, long story short, okay, uh, now we're gonna focus on the answer to the question at hand, which is does my child need to highly, need, need a diagnosis? Um, do I need to, which, which really boils down to whether or not you need professional support 
um, in your local community and parents will wonder whether or not they need that professional support primarily if the child is struggling in school. So we're gonna definitely talk about that. If your highly sensitive child is struggling in school, you may have received a referral from the school professionals. School professionals might ask you to take your child to uh, an outpatient treatment facility or an inpatient treatment facility or partial hospitalization um, uh, facility based on the level of intensity of your child's needs. And you'll want to make sure that you uh, are able to assess whether or not that is an appropriate fit for your child because the mental health treatment around, especially in the United States, um, the, the quality of care in inpatient facilities, in, um, uh, you know, in, in, in partial hospitalization facilities really runs the gamut in terms of um, helpful or harmful. And um, having worked uh, not only firsthand, and as I mentioned before, in, in various forms of, of um uh, of services, various levels of services, as well as working with clients around the world. But we'll just kind of keep it to the U.S., particularly at this level, um, for the most part, because the majority of the clients that are referred to partial hospitalization inpatient um, facilities, um, that, you know, who worked with us in, instead of doing that, um, were or worked, you know, ended up there and then came to us afterwards. Um, the majority of those clients that we've served have been U.S. clients, so I'm going to just kind of streamline our conversation here. Um, the majority of highly sensitive kids who are who are um, struggling in the school setting might be just demonstrating uh, self-harmful statements, threatening statements, or verbal aggression or physical aggression, you know, tossing the desk, um, eloping from the classroom, etc. And so the school professionals are not trained in behavior management or emotional regulation. So teach any teacher that you have. Um, who has uh, demonstrated some emotional intelligence and, and, and effort to manage behavior from a place of understanding emotion regulation and communicating emotion safely, really has, has, um, has gone above and beyond the expectations of their career and um, has, has likely self-taught. Um, a, a lot of their skills. And so kudos to that teacher. Um, in, in terms of, of going above and beyond, we already know that teachers in the U.S., especially in the public school system, are overextended and have to use a lot of their personal resources, including personal energy resources, to be great at their jobs, um, which leads to, you know, we know a lot of burnout. Um, and consider yourself consi uh, significantly lucky if your child or blessed if your child is in a classroom where the teacher is uh, focused on emotion regulation takes emotion regulation into account in terms of helping um, your child become emotionally available for learning and emotionally ready for learning um, because your, your child's teacher if they are focused on that um, it is likely they're they're um, they're doing that of their own accord it's not likely that the system is is built to support them um, though they might have a supportive principal uh, or, or assistant principal or school counselor helping with that. Um, as, a, as a whole, the educational bureaucracy is, is unlikely to be primarily focused on emotion regulation because um, the academic goals of the school are, are the priority. It's what they need to report to their stakeholders um, and leadership. So um, because of that, the onus of supporting your sensitive children and managing their behavior falls on the parents. Now, great news, great news, uh, highly sensitive children change their behavior through their relationship with their parents. OK, 
Okay. So your strategy is incredibly important in terms of shifting your kid's behavior, even if their behavior is only showing up ineffective in, uh, in, in the school setting. Okay. So it's really important for you to note, even if your child has gone to school counselors, even if you've gone to individual therapy therapists before, even if you've tried, you know, a positive parenting, uh, focused problem solving course before, etc., you are still the change agent for your child if you're stuck in the meltdown cycle. So, uh, if, if you're hearing me say that, I encourage you to look at that as great news, uh, rather than, um, you know, taking a shame-based response of crap, did I create this? Or, you know, uh, oh, you know, does that mean it's all falling on my shoulders? Um, that belief system will keep you stuck. It will, it will um, keep you feeling like a failure and no one can parent a highly sensitive kid. Um, safely, healthily, and effectively if, if you perpetuate a belief that you're a failure. Um, uh, you know, I tell my clients and, and my, uh, my coaches specifically that we help awesome parents with awesome kids who just need awesome skills. And that's true about you too, okay? Um, the majority of parenting um, solutions uh, to, to teach children to regulate emotions, to teach children to follow directions safely in the home or, or safely in other settings, uh, typically focus on more traditional parenting strategies or are lacking in understanding the personality trait. Now, being highly sensitive is not a diagnosis because it's a temperament, just like type A or type B, you know, somebody who's go with the flow more. I like to, um, you know, lovingly call airy fairy. I have a lot of friends who are super go with the flow. Um, they balance me out. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, kind of intuitively feel things out before they take action, etc. Um, that's incredibly important and, um, you know, a, a wonderful personality uh, characteristic to foster. And then, you know, somebody might be more type A. They like to follow a system. They like to design systems. They like to create step-by-step um, -step directions in order to fix problems uh, day in and day out. And that lights them up. But that, that's more my personality. Um, I'm not highly sensitive. And so, you know, highly sensitive or not, uh, you might be type A uh, and your child might be more uh, reliant upon um, rules and, and expectations. And, and so that's likely that they fit a type A personality and being highly sensitive. Now, being highly sensitive has four components, right? Um, depth of processing, thinking deeply about uh, what you experience, uh, considering all kinds of angles in terms of solving problems, um, looking at scenarios from, uh, from multiple perspectives, as well as feeling deeply. Okay, depth of processing includes the emotional experience. So a child might have a ripple effect um, of, of, you know, seeing somebody look at them with a raised eyebrow and they might um, emotionally feel hurt rather than uh, typically confused, like a, a, a non-highly sensitive child might feel um, confused, like, hmm, I wonder why that person raised their eyebrow at me. A highly sensitive child, especially a highly sensitive child without skill, may um, cr create a story in their mind that this person raising their eyebrow um, was displeased with them, um, and then they may take that personally. Um, and so, um, you know, a highly sensitive child with skills might say, oh, they raise their eyebrow. I wonder if they're worried about something. I wonder if they're worried about something I did. Um, I wonder if I could help them feel better. Okay. So there's a, there's a lot of questions in any given scenario that a child who's highly sensitive is asking and as well as feeling. 
um, in, in, in life circumstances, and that can be tiring, right? The brain is moving um, with, with much more depth, with much, much more energy, and so that means that a highly sensitive person, highly sensitive children, are much more likely to be easily overstimulated, right? You're taking in more information from the world, you're processing more information from the world, so that's going to overload you if you don't have skills more regularly, and it's gonna overload you even if you do have skills. Um, if, you know, if you've just had a, you know, a heavy day or a heavy couple of days in a row, right? So, um, he's being easily overstimulated might look like your child is, is, uh, has a hairpin trigger might look like they are flooded or overwhelmed, um, uh, and, and quick to, to react, uh, as well. And so emotional responsivity is another component to the personality trait. And we see emotional responsivity in healthy ways for highly sensitive kids who have skills and in unhealthy ways for highly sensitive kids stuck in the meltdown cycle. And this is really important because this is the, this is particularly the, the piece that uh, most mental health professionals, if they are not familiar with the highly sensitive trait, will start to diagnose, okay? So if a child has a hairpin trigger, they start to respond irritably. A highly, uh, you know, a, a mental health professional might consider the child as anxious or might consider the child as uh, depressed um, or might consider the child with uh, cyclical mood disorder, like disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. If they're not familiar with the personality trait, uh, they may start to look for patterns and think that the child has um, an up and down roller coaster emotional experience, and that that's actually something that's wrong in um, in their uh, in their brain chemistry and and diagnose it. Um, I'm using the word wrong because the mental health industry follows typically a medical model, which means that there's something broken based and the symptoms of that needs to be slowed down um, or decreased, uh, not eliminated, um, because it, it's it's considered normal. Um, for children who have uh, DMDD, um, for example, a cyclical mood disorder, to um, to continue to have a cyclical mood disorder, to con continue to be reactive, though not as intensely. Now, when we look at this from a different angle, if you look at it from a personality trait perspective, then you can set your child up for being less vulnerable and you can shift out of the dynamic of thinking that your child has to feel better about themselves in order to then feel capable, right? And instead you can shift uh, the environment yourself and then your child starts to feel better about themselves. So um, highly sensitive kids need a lot of convincing if you look at it from the inside out, um, trying to support the highly sensitive child through, um, through, through trying to teach them skills directly. Uh, it's actually a much longer process and uh, can take uh, some time, but also still need, you still need a parenting component. So this is why one-to-one -one therapy doesn't work. It's why that, that's not the therapy model that we ever followed in our, um, in our private practice. We always worked with parents directly as well, did family work, et cetera, uh, because highly sensitive kids needed, need, need to shift through their parent-child relationship. Um, and uh, in terms of breaking out of this pattern, you as parents need to know how to set limits, when to set limits, how to teach your child to change their behavior, how to communicate about emotions so that when you notice your child's emotions, you're not adding um, shame to the mix or trying to help your child, trying to convince your child to feel a different feeling through either reassurance or any other invalidation, um, both purposeful or, or um, um, uh, un unknowingly. Right, so all of that requires a certain set of skills for you as a parent, 
um, which we, you know, we obviously break down in our programming uh, for our clients. Now, it, it takes me eight weeks to teach that with several hours of content as well as several hours of, uh, of communication and troubleshooting. So it's not something that I'm going to be able to share with you in a 45 minute training. Um, that would that would be watering down the work, right? But the high level uh, understanding of of what uh, is necessary to 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 break out of the meltdown cycle um, requires you to understand that highly sensitive kids need to learn through their parents. Uh, otherwise, you'll be following the tra traditional medical model. Now, if you need to advocate for um, for special education services like an like an IEP or a 504 plan. Your child will need a mental health diagnosis in order to access those supports. Um, and that mental health diagnosis may need to be provided by a pediatrician or uh, a mental health provider based on the level of severity of needs your child has in the school setting um, or based on the level of intensity of the uh, bureaucratic management of the school system your child is involved in. So if there's a lot of red tape, if there's a lot of hoops you need to jump through, you're better off getting a mental health diagnosis for your sensitive kid while you're advocating for them, um, for the school setting to not um, set them up for failure give them emotional breaks, give them the opportunity to, um, you know, to, to take space, to pace their learning, to, um, you know, to, to stay busy in their body without, um, you know, needing to uh, resort to aggressive behavior. Um, obviously, all of those systems, the, those tactics to be, can be put in place. Um, and we advise our clients who, whose kids need that too, uh, but it's not going to break the cycle. Okay. So there's a difference between creating an environment in the school setting that is just not damaging, right. And instead supportive, um, and saying that that's the fix. Okay. That's the fix for the meltdown cycle. It's not the fix. Okay. So, um, yes, you might need a mental health diagnosis, but it is important for you to, to note uh, that that mental health diagnosis is, is going to follow your child as a label um, throughout their need of, of an, an IEP. And depending on how the professional reads it and how the culture of the school setting um, is designed, that might be read as a weakness or a challenge or a ding on, um, on their, you know, the teacher's perspective of the child or the professional's perspective of the child, or it could be looked at um, as uh, you know, a, a guide or a lens to look through through the child's behavior. Uh, but what I find to be most important is if the person, is if the school professionals understand the difference between high sensitivity, high sensitivity personality trait and mental health diagnoses. And so feel free to share any of our resources, whether that be um, you know just podcast links or. Um, links from our, our YouTube channel, probably more accessible to your school's professionals um, to advocate for your kid in the school, um, especially if, if you're not working with us directly um, to help your to help the, the school professionals understand the difference. Um, because that really does make a world of difference in terms of shifting out of just believing that your child has something inherently um, wrong with them in terms of how their brain operates and uh, understanding the difference between a mental health diagnosis and a personality trait allows a, a professional to look at this from a strengths-based perspective as well. Highly sensitive kids could shift their behavior, as I mentioned before, through your relationship as, with them as a parent. So um, the, the best and most effective way for you to uh, break out of the meltdown cycle is to learn how to parent your child differently.
Um, in the meantime, right, uh, while a child is struggling with school, you will need to know how to advocate. When we teach our clients to do this directly, we teach them to sometimes seek special education supports, other times alter the, the, the special education supports they already have, um, or just advocate for um, general um, emotion regulation communication for the whole classroom. And, and some teachers are just eager to learn and, and are willing to alter the systems of their classroom without um, pursuing a 504 plan. And then some highly sensitive kids who are stuck in either the meltdown or shutdown cycle, uh, they don't need their parents to advocate, even if they're struggling in school. Uh, parents are able to shift that behavior, shift their parenting strategy at home, and then that uh, leads to a change in the child's demeanor, a change in the child's sense of capability and patience with themselves, um, and flexibility and creative problem solving, which obviously shows up um, in, in multiple avenues of their life when you shift it from the parenting perspective. Uh, when you try to shift it from the, 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 the um, school perspective only, the child is not, likely, is not likely to generalize those skills into the home. And so you'll see perhaps a shift at school, but your child will still struggle with communicating their needs effectively at home, um, safely at home, or uh, even sharing with you what's working and building insight on, on that. Um, and communicating that with you. And obviously it's incredibly important for you as a parent to have those conversations with your child to help them build that insight. And to do that, you need to be playfully communicating about emotions. You need to be teaching them how to regulate their behavior on a, on a, um, in a systematic way that doesn't perpetuate shame. And uh, you need to be able to do that while also believing that your child is capable of change, wants to feel better, and was not put on this earth to be miserable. Um, and, and do that in a paced way so that your child is not expecting um, feedback from you that's negative on a daily basis, uh, which obviously will overwhelm an already overwhelmed sensitive brain. So if you're looking for a way to break out of this pattern in a systematic way, I encourage you to have a conversation with our team. Um, being able to try to piecemeal some of this together it creates a long road. It adds discouragement to your child's perspective of what they're capable of, which impacts their self-esteem. So it really puts you in a catch-22 position. Uh, if your child's stuck in the meltdown cycle at this level, you, you do need professional support. Um, as I mentioned before, in seeing this, this pattern get worse over time, um, start, stopping it early is necessary and um, is, is incredibly important because otherwise you'll be, you'll be spending time, money, resources uh, much more um, than you would be in terms of trying to solve it earlier um, to try to recoup some of the, uh, the lost skills as your child develops and they start to believe in themselves as, as somebody who is not capable. Um, spending years in that perspective and that self-concept will take years to grow out of um, without uh, a system in place. So um, go ahead and have a conversation with our team. Talk about what you're struggling with. Share with us where your challenges are, what you've tried already. And uh, even if you've tried other means of professional support, we've seen that uh, before uh, many, many times. And you have the opportunity now to turn this around. Um, a lot of our clients have been through therapists for years, multiple therapists for years, or the same therapist for years, um, and, and have seen significant results in, in changing their tactics as well as changing their approach, their strategy. Okay. Um, and that's important to, to notice and, and, uh, that's available to you to consider as well. Um, 
when you have that conversation with our team, we're equipped to assess whether or not you're, you're stuck in the meltdown cycle, whether or not what our work is gonna do is, to, um, is going to move the needle for your family significantly, uh, or if something more appropriate would be relevant here. If your child um, does in fact have uh, meltdowns because of some other reason besides being highly sensitive as a temperament ta ta trait, then uh, we would send you in, in a more appropriate avenue, um, either towards mental health treatment, but a different type, or um, different resources that, that perhaps you would be able to solve on your own or need to address on your own before you would be a candidate for what we do. Um, and, and obviously that requires a conversation because every family is unique um, and every parent um, is not a fit for what we do. So we're happy to have that conversation to make sure that the work that we do is incredibly impactful for the families who are a good fit. Or if you're parenting a teenager, we would have a conversation with your teen and you uh, together because teens join the work that we do. So we need to make sure that they understand uh, and are motivated uh, for the, the shifts they wanna make. So uh, again, uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you and sharing with you what's possible for your family as well as pointing you in the direction of, of how to discern the difference. Uh, between personality trait and diagnoses and, and when that would be relevant. All right. And um, uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. Have a good day. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.